As we now all experience, COVID-19 has disrupted our daily routines, both for adults and children. This crisis has also reduced access to social and medical services, which has significantly impacted community members with autism and other behavioral concerns. However, I'm joined today by a forward-thinking and passionate industry leader who has relentlessly dedicated herself to answering the call and needs during these challenging times. To ease the burden of parents with autistic children and other behavioral concerns, Dr. Marcy Willard, CEO of Clear Child Psychology, is leading a movement to guide 1 million families towards their best lives during this pandemic and beyond. Tune in to find out how Dr. Willard and the Clear Child Psychology team is empowering parents and supporting autistic individuals today and tomorrow, and how you can support their worthwhile mission. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Dr. Willard. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for being with us today. Hi. Well, Marcy, I am looking forward to our conversation, given your team's innovative efforts to help combat COVID-19, as well as some exciting and breaking news from your camp. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and to interact with the global ecosystem. And lastly, Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, Marcy, again, so excited to have you here today. There's been some incredible work happening out of your camp with Clear Child Psychology. There's some breaking news. There's some big updates. We're going to get into all of that. But before we do that, and we talk about some of the things that you guys have been laser focused on as well, given the crisis in front of us that is COVID-19. Let's take a step back for a moment, Marcy. Give us that overview, that welcome introduction to a Clear Child Psychology, what the organization has been about. And then, of course, like I said, we'll also talk about where things are heading with the pandemic. But let's start with that overview and take it from there. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. I'm really looking forward to this. So Clear Child Psychology has always been about helping families. So we are guiding families toward their best possible lives. We set about a mission to boldly disrupt the status quo by accelerating clarity and action for families and giving them direction when and how they need it. And what I mean by that is that we have three main offerings and through these three main areas, we are helping families find a clear path forward. Here's the three things that we are providing. One is assessment, two, a roadmap, and then three, coaching and advocacy. So our company has these three offerings that really guide these families towards the clear path forward. We are, through assessment, we're capturing their unique child, and through this roadmap, we're finding direction for the family, and through our coaching and advocacy, we are unlocking their child's potential. So that is what our company is all about, and I'm happy to share as many details of how we do that as we can. Thank you for that. And we will dive into that a little bit more in depth here in just a moment. But 
as an aside, I know you and the team have been at it now for a little over two years. And I just got to ask this because there's so many entrepreneurs that are listening in and others that are thinking about jumping off that quote unquote entrepreneurial cliff and building their own companies, et cetera. I know that you were a school psychologist before launching your own program. What was it like jumping off that cliff? (laughs) I think that jumping off a cliff is a very good analogy for it, Mike. (laughs) So it is a bold effort to do this. And I've actually, I'm a huge fan of Oprah. And I remember one of her quotes where she said that, It's the ability to stand at the edge of that cliff with your knees knocking and your teeth trembling and take the leap anyway. And that's many times what it feels like. I fortunately found myself a wonderful team and I have a great co-founder. And so that helps you get through some of those really hard days. Well, I'm going to say something really cheesy, so bear with me, but I always (laughs) believe that teamwork makes the dream work, right? I mean, you can't do this stuff by yourself and be a lone ranger out there. There's just too much. It's too complex. There's too much to achieve, but having a great team around oneself is that's how things get accomplished. So thank you for sharing that. And it's a great story. And I know we're going to dive in a bit more and have some of that breaking news here in a moment, but go ahead and share with me also, let's dive in a bit on some of those three. I know one thing that you guys are really focused on as well is autism and a differential or comorbidity disorders. Can you share a little bit more specifically around that world And then, like I said, we'll springboard into what all of this happening in your camp with COVID-19. So autism has certainly always been a focus for us. And in the assessment side, that's where we really kind of hung our hat. My co-founder and I wrote a best-selling textbook on autism assessment that is currently being displayed at major conferences, at International Society for Autism Research Conference. That book has been proudly shown. And we have over 70,000 downloads of that book. So we pioneered in the autism assessment space from the very beginning. And then on top of that, autism is, as many people that are kind of been around this world know, is a very unique disorder that is shared with many other types of challenges. And so we really wanted to not just look at the autism, but really look at that child, understand what this unique child's profile looks like and what they have to offer the world and how can we build on those strengths that they have. So we wanted to paint a unique portrait of each child, whether they have autism or not, and certainly kids with autism, what else is going on with this child? What are their unique assets? What do they have that they can build on? And then those challenges that we can also work through with those families. And with the challenges, you also want to identify which are the most important ones. And so that we spent a lot of our research digging into that and building a framework to understand where a child's unique challenges are and which of those are most impactful for treatment. Well, thank you for that. And I'm going to go off a quick tangent here because I've been able to, and I'm fortunate to be surrounded by leaders like you and my daily work and all the things that I'm passionate about. And one of those things, if you've been for our community that's tuned in, they know that we talk a lot about mental health and well-being. One term that I've learned over the past two years is neurodiversity. Can you explain what that means? Yes. So neurodiversity is a really neat movement and a neat way of thinking about both autism and other types of disabilities and abilities and challenges. And what you think about is each individual is sacred. Each individual has amazing things that they can offer. And it's about helping to foster those and nurture those 
and to see each individual for all that they can contribute to the world in their own unique way and to find their own path. I absolutely love that term. I think it's a beautiful term. I think it's a great way to really flip, you know, some of the stigmas on its head, right? I mean, and again, mm-hmm. one thing that I'm incredibly passionate about, another aside is why can't we with friends or with loved ones or colleagues, you know, Marcy, you had a, an amazing workout on your bike this morning. Why can't I tell you the same that, you know, my spouse and I had an amazing session with our family counselor last night, right? So starting yeah. to use these terms, use it in our everyday language, I think, it was episode two with Dr. Benjamin Miller, the chief strategy officer over at Wellbeing Trust. He said words matter, right? And it matters how we frame these terms up, frame these issues up. And so words do matter. And, I, and so being able to learn from leaders like you, terms like neurodiversity, I think it's awesome. So thank you yeah. for coaching us up there a bit. Let's turn now a little bit more towards COVID-19. I know, again, there's going to be some breaking news and some awesome updates from your camp in just a moment we're going to share. But one area that you guys have been focusing on is telehealth assessment for autism in the pandemic and then of course beyond. Let's Mm -hmm. focus in on pandemic breaks. It's March. We're on lockdown in 2020. How has this been for a young company like yours? How much have you had to pivot? And then of course, we'll talk about and dive into this telehealth assessment for autism in this world. But give us a little bit of a, how was it a shock to the system? How did you guys respond with the pandemic and how does that look for your organization now? Yes. So The COVID pandemic, as we all are well aware, turned all these industries on their ear. So all the things that we kind of thought were normal became not normal. And all the ways that we do business needed to shift and adjust. One of the things that was very fortunate for our company is that telehealth has been something that we've been really pioneering and working on this whole time. So for the last two years, we've been in the telehealth space trying to provide these resources to families as much as possible over telehealth means. And it's interesting because I've heard some great kind of thought leaders talking about this. Uh, Bradfeld, I listened to a talk from him just the other day and he had said, so telehealth has grown 10 years in the last four months, right? So things that people didn't think were possible, people don't think it was possible to do all of these great services that you get from your doctor or from your psychologist or from your therapist over telehealth. And people have learned, actually, it's great. And so it was a big shift in paradigm and in thinking that kind of was fortuitous timing, given where we were in this field. I won't say that we didn't make changes. We definitely did. And so I will be happy to share those as well. But we were in the telehealth space already. And it just became really essential that we get the word out that we're doing this. And we wanted to arm clinicians with the abilities to do the same because most clinicians were not doing telehealth at the time. So we did a massive effort to educate clinicians on how to do telehealth. Well, I'm excited to dive into that in just a moment because I really want you to speak to directly to the patients, to the care providers, to parents about what this means, how they can access this innovative work that's happening at Clear Child Psychology and what it means for their personal lives. Like I said, we're struggling on so many different fronts from being, mm-hmm. you know, a home is now not only a home, it's a restaurant, it's a school, it's a workplace. I mean, it's just unbelievable the different stresses that are on many of our mm-hmm. community members. So we're going to go there in just a moment, but I do want to highlight that. I think what uh, you mentioned, Brad Feld, founder of Techstars, and managing director of Foundry Group, one of our key leaders here in Colorado, somebody I'm a huge fan of and consider a friend. I agree with him 100%. We also had Dr. Rich Zane, the chief innovation officer 
from UC Health, University of Colorado Health System. And to build on that, Marcy, he said the following. He goes, telehealth is not telehealth. It's health and care delivered in a different format. So what's the difference? It's still health care. We're still delivering health. It just happens to be through some technology applications. I couldn't agree with him more. And I also agree with Brad that the advances that we've seen over the past four to six months for telehealth and healthcare through connected devices, I'm a huge fan of it. I'm so excited. And I don't think that the genie is going to go back in the bottle anytime soon. (laughs) And I'm totally okay with that. So thank you for that. Let's go there. Let's talk to the patients. Let's talk to the care providers. Let's talk to the families, parents for this. What does all of this mean to them and for them? Yeah. So I'm going to start with an example of a family and what their experience was. And every time I hear the story or tell the story, it rips my heart out. So I'm going to apologize in advance for how passionate I feel and how kind of painful it is to have to hear families go through this. Well, Marcy, before you begin, I'm going to revoke that apology. I want you to bring it. That's what this podcast is about. We want complete authenticity. So no apologies needed nor allowed on this podcast Okay. because this is important work and these are important messages that our community needs to hear. Okay, great. There might be some tears, Mike. That's all. (laughs) So one of the families that we had worked with, she lives in New Hampshire two daughters, two beautiful daughters, and she's out in New Hampshire, really close to the Children's Hospital in Boston. She's associated with a lot of smart people. She's well-educated. She's well-resourced, and she is doing her homework. She's gone to her doctor's office. She has been, her doctor's office sent her to a neurologist. At the neurologist, she's actually in the waiting room, and they tell her, we actually can't see your child because she doesn't have a diagnosis. She was there at the neurologist to see if her child could have brain cancer or another potential brain problem. And they said, well, you would need a diagnosis potentially of autism to be here. And she's thinking, well, why didn't the pediatrician or the doctor's office just tell me that autism was on the table? Cause I would have asked him about that. Right. So she goes back to the pediatrician and says, you know, that, neurologist can't see us, then sends her to audiologist. So she's at an audiology office. Her daughter who has autism is not responding to the cues. So they're saying, well, maybe she can't hear. Maybe that's why she doesn't respond to her name. Right. And so families do this all the time, trying to figure out why does my child not talk? Why are they not responding to their name? Why are they having trouble in these social situations? So she's at the audiologist and she says, you know, I know that she can hear you. And they're saying, no, she's not hearing the sound. She said, just play Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Just play Mickey Mouse Clubhouse in the background. I promise she'll hear you. And they put it on, bam, she lights right up, right? She can hear it. And the daughter's freaking out. She's crying. She's stressed because she knows she's not giving them what they want, right? And meanwhile, this whole trip to the audiologist is wasted. So now we're talking years of this, Mike, years of this the wrong specialist, the wrong doctor, the we don't know what it is, but it's something big. And she had to not only trust her gut, which is what is so hard for these families and just makes me furious, is they have to fight for their kids and they have to fight against the status quo. One, the doctor telling them to wait and see is commonly what they hear. And then their friends saying, oh, you know, he's a boy, he'll grow out of it. Or in this case, you know, she's little and she's so sweet, she'll be fine. And meanwhile, she knew. 
So anyway, she happens to bump into someone at a software conference who knows of us that she gives us a call and she's in New Hampshire, right? I'm in Colorado. I knew we were going to be telehealth, but we had to get our systems in place because we had no plans of our first client being out there in New Hampshire, right? And this is over two years ago. So we talked to her within a week, we're able to get her daughter diagnosed. And it's not just the diagnosis. We're able to give her these profiles of her child and paint a portrait of her child's skills and challenges, and then recommend these exact types of therapies from the specific providers that can help her child, and then give her a roadmap to track progress and work on those skills. And her daughters have gone from being completely nonverbal and really struggling and their family in a crisis to now they're potty trained, which has been huge. Now they can brush their teeth, which is pretty awesome, even for a neurotypical four or five-year-old. And it turns out that I mentioned they, a year later, her other daughter started showing signs and she even bothered going through that healthcare maze. She came straight to us and we were able to get her diagnosed and get her into these life-changing therapies. So that's what we're doing for these families. So powerful. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And these stories need to be shared. This is the front line. This is exactly, you know, patients and families in our communities across the nation, these real, true, authentic stories. These are the stories that need to be shared and need to be heard to know that we can do better, that we can move the health of our industry and our nation forward by Mm -hmm. working together and doing innovative work, just like what you described. So thank you for sharing that. And then Marcy, let's share, you know, dive in a little bit more regarding COVID-19, has it changed much for you? You know, how are patients, how are parents, how are children reacting to working with you in this world of COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Yes. So before the pandemic, we were about 90% telehealth and now we're a hundred percent and, and it is different, right? So it was a big shift in some ways. One of the things that most clinicians believed, and we were among them, was there's going to be some kids and maybe even quite a few kids that you're just going to have to test them in person if you can. And we found that, yes, that is still possible. That possibility is still hanging out there that we're going to bump into a family where we cannot help them over telehealth. But that has not yet happened. So we've found that one of the things that you can do, I'll just give you an example. So let's say the child is three years old and not verbal. Well, I can't do an interview over Zoom with that kiddo, right? So that's not going to work. So things that we can do though, is we can have the families collect videos, for example, or we can, like we did in New Hampshire, we can have the parent be on the computer or, or FaceTime and they can follow the child and what they're doing. And we can use those observations in the way we're thinking about this child's skills and challenges. We also have rating scales And then we also developed our proprietary instrument. And our instrument is an autism assessment tool that is done online where we have the parents fill out essentially a survey. And then we have all the people in this child's life who are experts in this child, as well as the parents who are also experts in their child, fill out the same survey that allows us to really target those skills and understand whether it's autism. And even if it is autism, what else is going on with this child and what might they need? So we are able to use those kinds of tools and those tools were already in place for us before COVID-19. The thing I will tell you that that's interesting is that although everybody knows telehealth is big, people are adopting it. 
there's still a really big resistance on the part of many clinicians feeling very nervous about being able to do it. And then there's definitely some families that are saying, you know, is this really possible? Are you really going to be able to see who my child is over the computer or FaceTime, that kind of thing? We don't actually use FaceTime, but I'm trying to give you that example. So a telehealth platform. So that's sort of a way of understanding that telehealth landscape, we believe was already possible and available. It's just that it was really not well accepted. And I still feel like there's a lot of pushing that needs to happen to move this forward so that people understand and really adopt it. Well, and let's go there for a moment. Let's stay on that because I think it's important, right? COVID-19, this pandemic, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. This is going to be with us for a long haul. And these are the new realities. And that's why I wanted to also bring you on for this series on our podcast is to focus in on that COVID-19, the pandemic, how to deliver care in this environment, because our parents, our community members across this nation, they still need these services to take care of these kiddos. And so are there any suggestions, tips, or tricks that you have for parents? Because you mentioned some of and I get it, some of them are a little hesitant to think about using these types of vehicles or technologies to help with their kiddos. Are there any tips, tricks, or advice that you have to ease parents, to help them understand that, you know what, we can still achieve a lot in this environment? Yeah, so I would take that from two angles. First of all, to tell you that I want to just paint a picture of the alternative to telehealth, which is what we used to think was the only way. So I want to give you an example of another family that has three kids. And the oldest is the one who is having the challenges that she thinks could be autism. And she goes to the doctor's office. And at the doctor's office, her child is running around literally just destroying the place while she is trying to fill out forms. And while her little toddler is drooling and crawling all over the forms she's trying to fill out, she's answering no, no, no to many of the questions on there because they ask developmental questions and feeling more and more nervous. The kid's anxious. She's anxious. And she feels that, how are you going to get a good, accurate picture of my child when they're this uncomfortable? when they're in this environment that feels so foreign to them. Now contrast that to how normal it is for kids to see mom on the phone with grandma and grandpa and to have them turn the phone around and say, hey, say hi to grandma and grandpa, or to have mom walking around with the phone while they're playing and say, hey, play with this, let me read you a book. And this is much more natural for these families than the environment that we normally had put them in all these years. And it's really just tragic that we've kind of thought this is the only way. And even that's when you get in, Mike, what about all these families that are still looking? And the fact that wait lists are on average 18 months to get in for an evaluation. Once you get in, you're in this very foreign, uncomfortable environment where your kid is really not feeling natural. So that's the other side of this outside of the telehealth methods. So it wasn't that we thought telehealth would be convenient for us. We wanted to make it accessible for families, right? So we realized that not only is it possible, but it's also better in terms of the way we can support these families in their natural environment. Well, thank you for that and sharing those realities because it's important for us to hear that and to understand and understand that these are the new realities, whether some like it or not. 
this is where we're at. But to know that leaders like you out there are pushing it forward and opening up an opportunity to still have the ability to connect and receive care and, and receive guidance during these times. It's just so inspiring, Marcy. And speaking of inspiring and speaking of advancements for your camp, you do have a little bit of a few pieces of incredible news. One of them is that you guys recently closed a seed round of funding of $1.95 million. I have so many questions about that from entrepreneur to entrepreneur, but I'll distill it down to a couple. One, what was it like to close a seed round of funding during a pandemic, during lockdown? And then two, what will the use of funds be for that seed round? Yeah. So first of all, it was scary. <laughs> so I will tell you that in February, I had a major personal loss. My brother died in February. And then in March, and I will tell you that really during February in my world, you know, the pandemic wasn't totally real yet. I hadn't kind of put my head around it. I was still kind of in this life as, as usual kind of situation. And then March hits and I am back in the office and back to the grindstone as it were, and trying to raise a couple million dollars, right? And it's a pandemic. <laughs> so to say that it was just the most intense emotional time. And I think, you know, most people feel that way. And then you know, trying to get my head around all the trends that are happening and what are angel investors doing and what does money look like right now in the midst of this crisis? And it turned out that yes, there was a slower deal flow uh, to a degree there was a little bit more money flowing into startups than into growth companies, which makes sense, right? Because no one's really expecting them to grow in this pandemic. So people didn't want to invest in that. So there was some neat optimistic things happening there. And then there's also a massive thing happening, Mike, that I think is wonderful. And I really want to thank my investors for this. People want to make a difference right now. People want to see that they're a part of the solution. They're not part of what's making life so hard for people these days. And so I got a lot more traction than I thought I would because people really want to make a difference. And so that was what I found to be really delightful about it. The other big thing that I've heard a lot, and I'm, in, I'm participating in Denver Startup Week right now, which has been really neat to listen to. And they were talking about the difficulty of trying to create relationships with investors on, you know, over Zoom. And I thought that too, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, you can't ask him for a coffee and you can't really spend as much time maybe in your sort of chit chatty relationship building. And it turned out it was okay. So, you know, maybe more meetings, maybe it takes a little bit more to get into things than you would in person. Cause you just don't have some of those vibes that you could get in person. But I found that it went great, actually challenging. Don't get me wrong. I don't want the other founders to be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy lady. <laughs> it is challenging. But I found that people were really willing to see what was possible given the pandemic. They didn't want to be a part of stopping innovation and they wanted to be a part of seeing things really improve. Well, thank you for that. And it's an important message for our other entrepreneurs and founders to hear what I've been hearing from all the founders that I'm very fortunate and, and lucky to work alongside across this nation is, believe it or not, the accessibility has been greatly increased for some of them because you don't have to fly across the country and somebody has to mm -hmm. take a day, you know, a whole day out of their schedule to meet. We can just do a quick Zoom call. 
and sync up and share. And, and like you said, there are a lot of investors out there, angel investors, you know, institutional investors or otherwise that they really want to now invest on impact, doing good and doing well. And that's exactly where you guys are living. So a great message and thank you for that insight. And the last big, and then, oh, also we forgot to cover, what are the use of funds uh, for this seed round, Marcy? Yeah. So the big thing that we been working on and we found during the fundraising during some of our I'm sure you've been through this but once you dig in and really understand all your issues and challenges Mike you're like oh my gosh you know we've got so far to go <laughs> and so we dug into that and what we realized was the biggest thing we want to do is scale and have our services and our offerings be well known and available and so we actually hired a wonderful marketing firm who we hired a fractional CMO who's doing fabulous work with us and has helped us to really rethink the way we are, we're branding ourselves and the way we're putting these things out there. And we also needed to make our solution quicker and more accessible for families. So we're digging in a lot in this marketing and then also a ton in the technology, making it quicker and easier for families to access our supports and get all the things they need right away and then ongoing. Well, thank you for that. And you mentioned one key word in there. You said marketing and outreach and connecting. And I think you have a little bit of breaking news for us. And I always love some breaking news on the podcast. Can you maybe share a little bit of what you're about to announce uh, with our community? Yeah. So you can find us at clearchildpsychology.com. And that's been our name all along, our name and our brand. And we are about to undergo a name change. And We don't have it completely fleshed out. I'm telling you, this is very breaking news, but it's going to be something to do with the clear path. So we had been clear child psychology and what we've learned from a deep dive into our brand is that it sounds like we're the child's therapist and we're really not right. And everything I told you, we are here for these families to support them and to give them a clear path forward. So we're going to be redoing our website and even our name to represent that identity. That is so cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's exciting news. And we're looking forward to seeing all of those developments as well. Quick piece of housekeeping on that for our community, Marcy. So in case somebody's listening to this episode a year after it's being published, if they go to that website, the current website and potentially a new URL is up, will it redirect to that new URL? Absolutely. So we will always have that up there. So Clear Child Psychology, you can always find us there. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And as we wind down, Marcy, I want to ask also, where can we find you online, social media, contact points, websites? I know you shared a little bit already, even LinkedIn, you know, a lot of community here is plugged in it on LinkedIn as well. Where can we find you to continue to be along this journey with you? Yeah. So on LinkedIn, I am Marcy Willard, PhD, NCSP, which means nationally certified school psychologist on LinkedIn. We also have a Clear Child Psychology page on LinkedIn. We have a Clear Child Psychology Facebook page. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. I want to come back to an earlier point you made because you mentioned how I might be able to talk to the families about any kind of challenge about joining a telehealth kind of program and what they might be nervous about or how to kind of soften the pain for that experience. And I didn't get to address that. And I just Go wanted for it. to Yeah, great. I just want to speak directly to these families that you are not alone. What you are going through right now and asking everybody, you know, and specialists and doctors and trying to figure out how to help your child. You are not alone in that. Every family that I've talked to has been through a similar 
just arduous, challenging journey and it's outrageous. I just want to tell you that we're here for you and you are welcome to call me directly and I will help you. And our team will help you today. I don't mean in six months or 18 months, we will help you today. So if you're scared, if you're nervous, that is normal. And I just want to let you know that we are here for you. Well, I'm glad you brought it back up because that is a perfect spot to wind down this episode with you, Marcy. Wow. Thank you for that inspiring message to so many around the country. And I know some of them will be taking you up on that offer. So thank you so much for supporting our community. Well, Marcy, before we get out of here, I want to let you know I'm so appreciative of your time, your efforts, your passion, your dedication and mission to continue to make our communities across the nation healthier and brighter for not only today, but for the future as well. I know you have a lot of work in front of you and we'll get you back to it here momentarily. But again, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for sharing all of the wonderful news coming out of your camp. We look forward to continuing to be on the journey with you. But for now, thanks again for stopping by. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.